Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide, and we have another special guest for you on the computer ready to talk suppressors. We're going to talk suppressors across the board. I'm a huge suppressor fan. I have a ton of suppressors I've talked about, um, and I'm constantly, there's almost always a suppressor in the queue with me. I have Brandon Maddox from Silencer Central on the phone. How you guys doing over there at Silencer Central, Brandon? Great. Appreciate the honor of being a part of your podcast. Oh, looking forward to it. Like I said, I'm a huge suppressor fan. You guys are a big player in the industry. I mean, you steer the ship in a lot of ways when we talk about suppressors in the United States. And so we just wanted to, you know, go behind the scenes, get some insights, talk a little bit about the the politics of how we get suppressors in our hands, because there's a little bit of paperwork that has to be done that goes above and beyond But the big thing I want to talk about, like just right out of the gate for anybody listening, going, oh, we're talking to a company. You guys are huge in education. And to me, that's a big part of it is educating the consumer, educating your customer. If you go to your website right now, across the top, there's a drop down that says learn. You know, so go to your kind of like how maybe the industry forced you to do it. Maybe that was a plan in the beginning, but take us through a little bit of Silencer Central kind of moving to where they are today. Yeah, absolutely. So again, Frank, thanks for the opportunity. I've been a big fan of Sniper Hide, and that's where we see a lot of content and questions. And I've been in your, in your world for probably longer than you realize. I've been doing it since 2005. So I've known you, and so it's an honor for me to be here today. Um, you know, we started in South Dakota, and basically it was just working gun shows. And then, uh, you know, you'd work a gun show close to the border of North Dakota, and somebody would want to buy from you, so then I'd get a license in North Dakota. And then I'd work a show near Nebraska, and I didn't have a license there, and I wanted to sell something to Nebraska people, so I got a Nebraska license. So if you multiply that out over the last 18 years, um, we're licensed in every state where silencers are legal, all 42 states. And I think a benefit or I guess a differentiator that I bring to the marketplace is I come from a sales background and, um, you know, working the actual shows, I get feedback from customers over the years, you know, real time. You know, basically the question you're asking them is, um, are you familiar with silencers? And if you are, why do you not have one? I mean, that's essentially the question you're asking, whether you say it that way or not. And I found 100% of the time people were intimidated by the process and that's why they didn't own a suppressor. Sometimes people thought they were illegal. So that was, you know, able to be overcome fairly easily. But once it was overcome, the big question was, you know, how do I get one? How do you put it on your gun? Do I have to tell my sheriff you know, what if my friend wants to use it what happens when i die you know who else can possess it you know how do i there are all these questions what yep. i found was once a company could answer all those questions for that potential uh, buyer then their question was well how do i get started they don't they don't they didn't necessarily say i want a chevy or a porsche or a lamborghini or they would just kind of say gosh you've definitely got this process figured out um how do we get started? And I would say that's what really drove us online to put more content out there just so people feel more comfortable. Cause the goal is they read all the information on our website and they're like, wow, these people are super buttoned down. They know exactly what they're doing. And I would say, if you look at the last you know, 18 years, most of our existence has been focused on understanding the compliance perspective of it mm-hmm. because the complexity continues to increase as you add more stores. So when I had one store in South Dakota, you know, it was fairly complex, but when I added North Dakota and then Nebraska and then Wyoming and then Montana, and you know, just keep adding all these states, 
the complexity increase. So it required me to really spend a lot of time with the ATF to get into their head and also work with them to get some variances to make things easier. So I would say that, you know, probably the result of us having a lot of information on the website is so that people see that, you know, we're 100% engaged in the compliance side so we can keep them compliant as well. Very nice. And and that's the thing is, is once suppressors are civilized, I mean, my ear rings 24-7. My left ear is constantly, my right ear dances every now and then. But I mean, there's variations in this. You, it's, it's so much better to knock down that sound, knock down a little bit of that recoil. Nobody says you have to get a 12-inch suppressor. Right. You, you know, yeah. so the variation, it, like it, as far as the process goes, the process is absolutely what you said. Nobody, it's like, I don't want to wait. I don't want to do this. And then the intimidation factor, like you said, is there's this gray area that, I, I, I mean, I'm sure you've heard every old wives tale on the planet. You know, as soon as you do that, the suppress, uh, the ATF's going to knock on your door and they want to inspect your house. You know, yeah. all these different things that you're now in that bureaucratic pipeline and that pipeline now puts you inside the process where people are going to be intrusive because you did this. And I mean, that's the big extreme, but I've heard that on many occasion that it's a green light for the bureaucracy to walk in your door. And I mean, I've been running suppressors since 2001. I think I got my first one um, back then, 2002 maybe, and nobody's knocked on my door. You know, no, yeah, yeah, because they always say like if you talk to the lawyers that you know you can't really lose your, um, you know, un unlawful search and you know someone can't come and search you on your Fifth Amendment right and unless there's criminal activity involved. And I guess the other thing too is you know ATF came out pretty strong recently on sort of the solvent traps, but you know at the end of the day, my perception is they don't see silencers as a public safety issue. And at the end of the day, that's sort of their no. mission as a you know, law enforcement agency is to ensure that they're not any whatever they perceive as a public safety issue that's what they hone in on and i don't think they ever have perceived this you know now or in the future as a public safety issue right so but no i do agree 100 percent. when i first started in 2005 i did find honestly probably everything i read online was probably wrong it's just blatantly wrong so then it became hard to figure out where do you find the right information and then it, it, what i found was it was really to go to any event that the atf's at and just kind of sit on the front row and ask questions and start you know like it or not they got a monopoly on interpreting the rules so it's right. kind of like trying to figure out and figure out what they're looking at what they aren't looking at and then follow the rules based on that so um no, it's well, it's and that's the that's the lawyer part of it that we don't really necessarily want this heavy of lawyer influence, but because of the way they've kind of locked this down and restricted it, you yeah. have to work with these lawyers and you have to understand the 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 context and the meaning of what their laws are saying. So I think it's not a bad thing that someone like yourself has these relationships not only with with you know the correct constitutional lawyers out there. But the government as well. I mean, you don't yeah. like it. Any infringement or, you know, any laws and infringement, you can go that direction. But it's already there. We have to work within that system. Yeah. So totally, you, yeah. you need smart people who allow us to, you know, sidestep these landmines they're putting there. But because, I mean, I do, I try, like in my classes, I've had, especially over the last five years, 100% suppressed lines. Oh, yeah. It is so nice. 
It is so comfortable. And even from a shooter standpoint, if I put 15 people in a class and I have you guys shooting mat to shooting mat, you know, maybe you got two feet between each person. Those muzzle brakes are still pounding you because that's the angle. Yeah. You know, for for the guys on your left and right. Well, you're going to go home. Your head's going to hurt. You're, you're, you're going to have this weird feeling like a per- compression or concussion feeling, and it's weird. And when you're laying like that, so now if you introduce suppressors to the lines, everybody's happy. Oh, yeah, 100%. It, yeah, 100%. it, it makes such a nice kind of atmosphere for people. It, it, we're, I mean, even neighborhood-wise, there's a range here in Denver that's in the middle of a neighborhood. They'll constantly try to invent, you know, a, a, a safety issue. And a lot of times the police department shows up because somebody says, hey, my house just got hit. And then, you know, he shows up to the house and he goes, yeah, they shoot that way. You know, not this way. Yeah. It, it, but if you suppress those people, you'd have out of 100 people that might know the range is there and don't like it. Well, now that's going to drop down to 50. And then that's yeah. going to drop down to 20 because they can't hear it. And, and this is the politics of what you have to do to make sure the rest of us never see that. Yeah. We, no, right? well, I, mean, I mean, think about the. I'm, I'm your customer, right? And, and yeah. I'm going to come in. You've done all the legwork. I'm going to sign my name really no different than a 4473. Got to take a picture. You know, maybe a fingerprint here or there, which is electronic. Okay, great. But you did all the heavy lifting ahead of time. And then at that point, I just wait. Yeah, no, I think it helps. I mean, um, you know, here at Sunwester Central, we had the um, chief of the NFA branch here, their head legal counsel. We had, you know, a lot of their senior brass come through. And the goal was to kind of show them the the process, make sure they understand exactly what we're doing. So there's nothing that would concern them. It's getting their feedback on areas in the industry they're concerned about, you know, problems they're having. Um, it's just information sharing, but no, I, I usually typically try to meet with them three times a year. And when we have those interactions, we're able to kind of uncover what's, what's on their mind, what's concerning them, and then try to figure out a way to mitigate that. So it doesn't impact our customers. Cause I always say that we don't want to scale a business that's going to negatively impact our employees or our customers. Um, it, it just, it's not going to work. So I know, I know when I first started with that approach, I think people thought, um, you know, it's easy to say, well, we hate the government, you know, disband ATF, get rid of the NFA. I mean, all that's great. I'm on board. But at the end of the day, if I want to run a lawful business, I want to make sure that my employees and also our customers are not in a gray area. We have to seek out that information because a lot right. of the NFA laws obviously were written in the 30s. and The Gun Control Act was written in the 60s. So you really a lot of it's open to interpretation from them, unfortunately. So that's why it's good to have good legal defense on your side to give them pushback, but also have a very vivid understanding of what they see as important and where they see the lines in the sand are. And, and you have to be practical. I mean, you can't be the yeah. guy that stands up and, and, and says, you know, you can you can kind of say, OK, yeah, any any infringement is illegal, but you have to work within the system. And so yeah, a guy who right. doesn't have anything or no skin in the game can go on the internet and, and, and shout from the rooftop, but we have to work within the rules. Yeah. 
No, totally. Yeah. And, it, you know, of course, I got their attention when I scaled up and went to four locations in 42 states. I mean, their point was Walmart's in 43 and you're in 42. So we're going to start treating you like Walmart. So, you know, to sit down with them and get their feedback. Um, it was a completely different business model for them to have someone that's selling silencers that's physically licensed in every state and can essentially assert, you know, we can serve as a dealer and a wholesaler and in some cases a manufacturer. So it's it was a completely different business model for them. And it took a while to kind of work through with them, you know, executing it sort of regionally for a long period of time and then sitting down and meeting with them and, ex, you know, executing it for the whole country. Now, do you have a physical brick and mortar in every state? Yeah, I have an FFL in all 42 states where silencers are legal. So that's what allows me to mail it to the customer's front door. So if a customer in Colorado buys a silencer from me, all the paperwork on the front end, the NFA paperwork is done in Sioux Falls. Everything on the back end for it being shipped to your front door is done in Colorado. And then the silencer is mailed to your front door from our Colorado location. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you're, you're, you are even got it tighter than most people. I didn't realize you, you were skipping even another process. But because you have... Have oh, yeah. those locations, you're, you're yes. able to do it that way. Oh, absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah so it's sort of that concept of a single point of contact. And it, it, it really just, like I said, it evolved out of necessity. You know, you work a show and you meet a guy from North Dakota and you only have a license in South Dakota. It's like, all right, we better get a license in South Dakota. And right. Just, you know, you continue to spread it out. And then to work the bigger events, you know, like we try to work the NRA event, the Safari Club International, or some of these other large uh, events for outdoors, you really need to have a license in every state because people walk up to your booth from everywhere. Go, absolutely. Uh, how many brands are you representing? We sell everything. I mean, you know, one struggle to be candid is we have trouble with um, some manufacturers selling to us direct. They want us to go through a wholesaler, which right. slows down our ability to get it, um, which I get. You know, there's some brands that just that's their model. They sell through a wholesaler. But, yeah, we sell everything. Um, you know, uh there's probably some brands that are more popular than others, but the good thing is we sell everything. And, you know, talking about earlier about sort of making the process easy is sort of our mantra. You know, we let people pay while they wait, which is very attractive. We don't charge oh, nice. any interest or fees to do that. You know, my, my insight, it shows a lot of times the, the guy's like, you know, my wife's going to kill me if I spend this much money and put it all up front. <laughs> yes. And I don't get this silencer for quite a while. So I, I used to just say, Hey, you want to put a hundred bucks down? I'll start all the paperwork for you. I'll submit it to the ATF and I'll let you pay while you're waiting and I won't charge you interest. And, and it, and it created this sort of like, man, you're in the boat with me. I like the way you think. Let's do it. And over the years, it's become very popular where people just don't want to pay for everything up front until they get it. So it's like, hey, just pay while you wait. Yeah, that's fantastic. I didn't know you had the pay while you wait, which is a great thing. I mean, going, you know, working with uh, Mark Taylor, he's an SOT. And the big point for him was the conjugal visits. Because we would go yeah. to the range and we would do all that stuff. So he allows people, he would say, hey, we're going to be at the range on these days. If you come right. to these days and let me know ahead of time, I will bring your suppressor that's in jail. And then you can have access to it while I'm there. Then we put them all back. So he, he does that a lot. He does it with students. So a guy comes in and they say, hey, you know, I, I want to buy this, 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 and that. Then you should take a class. And if you take the class, you'll get to use your suppressor while it's in jail. And, and right, so totally. all these kind of small little, they're, they're, they're not even, they're, they're, I don't want to say cost saving, but they're almost an efficiency thing. I don't know. I don't have the yeah. right word for it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I totally get it. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously with us being in all 42 states, that would be difficult for us to execute on. But mm -hmm. one thing that we've made really, you know, just I was talking earlier about these laws written in the 30s for NFA and then the gun control in, 60, in the 60s. Well, 
you know, we've worked with ATF to get variances where we could do all our paperwork digitally. So essentially we're sending all the forms to the customers and they're filling them out on their phone. So a lot right. of guys, it worked out really well during COVID because a guy could sit on his couch and never leave his couch and buy a suppressor and have a mail to his front door. So it's a, it's a, it's a different model. So that's why I appreciate you giving us an opportunity to sort of talk to your audience. Cause I think it's, it's easy to hate us if you have a local dealer you like, and that's not our goals for anyone to, you know, it's just to introduce people to this concept and this idea of you really can order any silencer on our website. And if it's not on our website, call us, we can get it. We buy from every wholesaler. We right. buy direct from a lot of manufacturers. We can let you pay while you wait and then we mail it to your front door. That's that's fantastic. I mean, and and this is that point of entry. It it's like come on in the door. We'll make yeah. it as easy as possible, and then just sit back and wait for it. But I mean, oh, like I said, oh. suppressors are civilized. It's a smart way of doing business. Um, it would almost be nice if you got if you even had little in each of your state. If you had a little get together like once a month or in, in the season, where you say, hey, sure. we're gonna do a range day. And you can come up with a can, you know, come see, visit your can, yeah. but no, totally. It, it, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's a really good model that you guys have going on with that. And yeah, yeah no, I, and it's, you know, it's super buttoned down too, because you know, one thing that we add to the table too, is, you know, we've got an entire sort of this entire thing is built like on a technology build. So people are getting text messages saying, Hey, you know, you're on, you know, you're on day 30, you know, it's been submitted to the ATF. We're just waiting for the e-form to get approved right now. We're seeing about 6.8 months. So, you know, we're giving people real time data. So they feel like, even though I know the most frustrating part for me when I was waiting for suppressors, when I bought my first few is I didn't really feel like I knew what was going on. And because I didn't know what was going on and you assume the worst, you know, you're like, all right, I gave this guy all my money. Right. And does he, does he even have the silencer? Did he even, send it in well what's going on with the government so you have all these like things running around because you saw head. nothing and back it, in the day you oh, it, it you i mean oh, it went from him like when he did his form ones and he got everything in it went into his vault and you never yeah. saw it Totally, totally. So we've really automated, you know, giving people real time statistics as far as, you know, hey, here's what we're seeing in the, uh, you know, wait times, sending people text messages, sending them emails. So they, they feel more like they're a part of the process. Yep. I mean, the e-forms create some accountability on the dealer side too, which we love. I mean, it tells when it's been submitted, you know, how long it's been in there. We, we you know, once it's approved, you know, the same time we do because we get the same email. So it, and, um, and I was, it, yes, I, I, I was just going to go there too. the electronics and the stuff on your phone, that kind of conversation. Well, now yeah. it used to, you know, every creative solution with a copy of your paperwork, you know, yeah. how many people have shrunk them down and, and laminate them like a business card or did this or did that, yeah. you know, there's all these little right. tips yeah. and tricks. Well, now yeah. you just got an email. Yeah. So it's you on your phone. Yeah, totally. hundred percent. Yeah. You got a PDF of it. You can email this one. Yeah, totally. No, it's. Yeah, it's changed it. I mean, like I said, we're just trying to, over the years, see things that were, you know, maybe gaps in other people's systems and then try to figure out how to fix those gaps and then try to figure out how to scale it and then try to figure out how to make it even simpler. So it's been, it's been a fun evolution. I mean, it's great to see the market growing. I mean, I think the struggle with e-forms is um, everyone wanted shorter wait times and everyone bought. So when their volume doubled, they just didn't have enough staff there to help execute. I'm hopeful that at some point they can fix that. They say they do, but the problem is they don't really have a track record of delivering on what they say they're going to do. Would say that which company I had a little audio, uh, but which company was that again? Well, so just the, oh. the agency, the NFA branch. In oh, general, the NFA. You know, they, I'm sorry. Yeah, go. I was working on audio. You know, 
Yeah, they've always um, they've always said it's gonna be quicker, it's gonna be quicker. And then of course they complain because when the volume goes up, they're like, "Well, hey, we told you we could do it in ninety days, but that was with three hundred apps. This year we're getting five hundred thousand apps." Right, so, right. You know, it, they they say it's hard. And then of course the part with the pistol braces registering those, adding an additional, I think it was two hundred fifty thousand. Those got registered, which then you know. They well, said and, they and you know this category. administration doesn't like the gun industry, so they're gonna no. slow walk and do everything. It's you know the ATF is the you missed the period and an eye over here we're going to shut you yeah. down so there are these commands to check totally. things or slow or slow walk them but I, totally. but the way you have it wired it's a no-brainer if somebody's interested in that suppressor pipeline uh, to me you guys would be the first stop um no i appreciate that i mean you know what's helped is um i'm on the congressional sportsman's foundation board and that board is like bipartisan and i think that's really I've seen that help for me to have a better pulse of what's going on legislatively. But also when I saw Congress, um, you know, the House flipped to the Republicans and the Republicans started putting the, you know, the director of the ATF on the stand and mm -hmm. hammering them on wait times and hammering them on, hey, you guys have publicly said you're going to do it 90 days and you're not. I've seen lifts there. I've seen some efficiencies. So it seems like that's important. They do take that feedback from Congress. And it looks like we may potentially, um, you know, in the next election cycle, win the Senate, which would be nice. Right. Because I could put more pressure on the ATF to deliver on what they say they're going to do. So the problem is I'm always optimistic that it's going to get quicker. Um, and I, I feel like they all they, agree. They teased this they like it was one month. I had one can that took three months. They teased yeah. this once. And I, and I remember like Randy at Mile High, he had the same thing. Like he's like, mine yeah. just cleared. I'm like, really? And then like mine cleared yeah. right after. But now it's yeah. back to nine. Yeah. And, you know, they, they, they're, they're trying to get better at batch. You know, they have to pay the FBI for every background check they do. So if you've got a few in the system that are even spread out over right. several months, their goal typically is to try to be more efficient. People and, are and noticing that the batches are coming. Yeah. I have three cans in all three cleared at the same time. So yeah, they totally. are noticing that system is working. Um, yeah. I just had a couple clear. I just cleared the last few of my, like the able suppressors. I really like those ables. And so I just got their uh, a bunch from them, and they all just cleared out. And and but the electronics, I have no problem with it. I think it works well. Um, the way like as far as Mile High as a dealer setup, I'm in their system. So yeah. you know when somebody says, "Hey, we want you to try this," I just kind of go in and repeat the system. Now, is the system sure. great? No, there's been errors. Um, yeah. one of the last suppressors, the ATF was like, "Hey, you didn't submit." your corporate documents and i know they did right. i did it with them together and it was like well i know you guys did it i did it with you i saw your worker do it just resubmit it to him and luckily the atf's like hey we don't have this because before they never called you yeah and now they email and saying hey we're missing this document and they can go oh here it is yep. and, you know so that to me the system does work better yeah, they were you know, like, like you said, when they first launched it, they were very rigid about any mistakes. It's an automatic denial, which sucks because you're back at the end of the line. But now they do have a little bit of grace there where they'll give you 48 hours to respond. We just we, we try to tell the ATF that send that request to us. We're right. more apt to have the information you need than, you know, interrupting the customer because then they kind of freak out like, oh, the ATF's calling me. What's going on? You know, it's better. I was like, just if you have an issue, if you need different fingerprint cards or like you're saying, a different trust document or something, just reach out to us. So because that's the way they used to do it with paper forms. When there was an error, they would basically mail the error letter to the to, to the actual dealer to, right. help, you know, facilitate that. 
And but, then, you know, that's the good thing about, you know, we're based in South Dakota, our corporate offices, but we've got 150 people here that are managing all these, you know, transfers and transactions we're doing. So we're super buttoned down as far as having not only automation and computers on top of it to make sure things are matching up, but also for some reason, something did go sideways. We're on it like instantly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a huge company. 150 employees is gigantic any way you slice it. And, and, yeah. and so you're, you're not a, you know, you are technically a small business cause they, what they go to 500 or something, yeah, but you're right. gigantic. 150 people is a huge amount to manage, um, yeah. any, any, any way you look at it. But, um, I want to change gears a little bit and sure. I want to talk product and talk your banish line. Yeah, um, absolutely. cause that, that's pretty dedicated to you guys. So give us a little background on the banish. Yeah, good question. So like I said, we sell everything. We have, you know, we can get access to any product anyone wants, even if they don't see it on our website, just call us. You know, Banish developed out of necessity, to be honest with you. We our volume got so large that no one could really, you know, supply us as quickly as we needed. A lot of times our shows were you know, January, February, March, and April, and it was hard to get us. You know, we probably had eighty five percent of our need over four months of the year. So what we did is we came up and uh, created Banish. And I, you probably we worked with the Mac brothers and Sturges. Yep. They do a lot of stuff with GA Precision, Badger Ordnance. So you're probably Love the Mac with Bros, them. man. Good guys. Oh yeah. No, totally. They they were Dakota Arms, so they're rifle guys, mm-hmm. shooters. So we worked with them. Um, you know, I'm a pharmacist by background, so I'm not the guy who's going to come up with the design. So we work with them because they've always been the firearms industry to help us with our design. So they made them. You know, we sort of challenged them. A lot of our customers like lighter weights. A lot of them are titanium. A lot of our customers like to be able to take it apart just to get that carbon out. So a lot of ours come apart to clean as well. So the Mac Brothers were the ones that helped us generate these products. Um but I would say our most popular is a Banish 30. It's 100% titanium. It's nine inches, but it's modular, so you can also shoot it in seven. Um, comes apart to clean, so you can take the baffles out, put them back in any order you want because they're all the same baffle. You know, sometimes people worry about too much wear on that first baffle. Yep, but the blast chamber. Yeah, but in, in these you can rotate. So if you get you – know, obviously, we would replace anything that ever goes wrong, but you can rotate them. Again, it's modular, so if you want to shoot a seven-inch, you can shoot at seven. If you want to shoot at nine, you can shoot at sure. nine. Uh, it's popular. Uh, what's your uh, uh, the Banish thirty that uh, retail typical running around sixteen hundred for you? That one's nine ninety nine. Oh, so nine ninety nine. That cheap. Okay, I thought you were yeah, up yeah. higher in the um. Yeah, the Banish thirty is nine ninety nine. Yep. Um, you know, we have a two two three can. It's very similar. It's basically a you know a seven inch model. It's all titanium. It comes apart to clean. You know, as you know, most people these days are buying a thirty and using it for everything. Yeah. On, like you know, multi caliber sub calibers. Um, you know, I'm a get, I'm uh, a 30 guy. I do that just to kind of expand a little bit. So there's a group of people out there that like dedicated. I'm shooting a 6.5. I want a 6.5 can. They get a yeah. half a dB change and they're yeah, like, I love it. But but then you got to make sure you always put that 6.5. Now, yeah. with some people, they only own a couple rifles. It's not a big deal. I'm like a sure. golf club kind of guy. And yeah. who knows what golf club I might have grabbed on any given day. So if oh, I have a 30 on everything, I don't get baffle strikes. Yep. Um, but if I go dedicated for me for safety, because I do have dedicated suppressors that, that I've accumulated over the years, I almost always step them down. So my six millimeters on my Valkyrie, my oh, yeah. six, five is on a six millimeter. And then my thirties yeah. are on six, five. So I, I kind oh, yeah. of do that. Yeah. Just, I like that. Yeah, just because I'm a baffle. I, I mean, I don't have a lot of baffle strikes. I probably, though, have five cans in there with chips and nicks on the exit hole. Ah. Uh, 
it happens. Yeah. 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 Sometimes it's a shoulder on the barrel too. Cause a lot of times the manufacturers are putting that brake on there. They're thinking the brake's short and they don't have to worry about tolerances as much. My most depressing one. And so years ago I had a little relationship through snipers hide with AAC. Oh, sure. And, and so I had a couple AACs and stuff and then they were working the scar program for the army and we were doing scar and, they came out with a whole bunch of these 30 cal variants that they were kind of trying to hit on. And they sent me one in titanium and I don't even think they sell it. It might've been a Mark, a 300 Mark two, or they had a name, but it was, yeah. it was great, but it was this yeah. titanium little longer 30 cal suppressor. And they sent it over and I really didn't put it on anything cause it was their 90 tooth, um, oh, yeah. their mount. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, yeah. whatever. You know, it was either the 90 or the 51. They had the two variants, whichever one was yeah. the second one. It was the second right. one. Right. Well, I don't use it. Don't use it. Don't use it forever. Then finally I, I had George GA precision put together like a 300 Norma out of a 338. And Francis Cool worked on it, a bunch of people. So I said, hey, put this brake on it. I'm going to use this can. This can was fantastic. It was one of the best cans I ever shot. I was like, oh, I love this can. So I went to gun sight, and I'm shooting this rifle. And as it gets hot, it's getting really sticky. Uh, so I'm like, oh, this thing's not working right. It's, it's getting hot. It's getting sticky. My load's a little hot. Well, one of the guys I'm with, he's like, hey, I have a really soft load. It's it's a 225, 300 Norma. He goes, and, and it's a, it's like a push, and it's not a, it's not a heavy load. I'm like, oh, okay, let me try it. So I grab one. I, I shoot a couple rounds through, and I'm like, no, it shoots great. Accuracy was good out of my rifle. I didn't realize. I should have I questioned the person I was with. It's kind of funny. So he had a 30-inch barrel. On his normal. Got it. I didn't know he was using some variant of a 50 cal powder. Oh, wow. And burning it across 30 inches. Well, I go, I got a 25 inch barrel and I'm shooting it. Well, the unburnt powder is collecting in my can. Uh Oh, this doesn't sound good. No. So I get a, I get a, you know, 10, 20 rounds in. I don't know how many rounds. It wasn't a lot. Maybe like the 15th round. And I get a blue puff, like a whoo. Oh. And it, it, it ignited that unburnt powder, and it threw my round off and gave me a baffle strike. That was my like most like disheartening baffle strike oh. ever because that can sat for probably four years and was never used. Then I used it loved it and like the third time out with it i got a baffle strike on it that way and it was a good chunk too because it's a 300 norma so they don't they don't do little ones they do like nice ones but i still have it i still use it i mean it's okay but that rifle was tore down taken apart and kind of retired because it just didn't work It, it it started its life as a remington mlr 338 oh yeah then I stepped it down to the Norma, but it still, it never managed like shooting more than three rounds and then it would bind. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It was, Man, it, was 
Yeah, and, and it was just the action was not, that Remington action was too small for that amount of uh, rifle. Right. You yeah. know, so it, it turned into a, a, a pain in the neck. But um, yeah, that was, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all about the, that. And so what do you guys with the um, customer service that way? Explain a little bit how you help people with my situation. I, I got my suppressor. I bought it from you. Now I got a baffle strike. With yeah, somebody's Yeah, so we would send you um we would basically send you a, a label to send it back to us so we pay the postage and then we're gonna replace that baffle and send it right back to you. So it just comes back to us. And that's assume you know, assuming it's a banish. If it's obviously if it's another manufacturer, we could help you connect with them and send it back to them. But um yeah, we do it in house. So like, you know, if it was something more severe, you know, we don't really have that many warranty claims. If it was mm -hmm. something more severe, we would mail it to Sturgis to the Mac brothers, they yep. fix it and then then we'd ship it back to the customer. But you know, we've got, you know, basically like pull out drawers full of baffles. So we would just replace the baffle. It's oh, know, nice. Yeah. And yeah, nicks right and back. stuff. Most people, the, the strikes are nicks. They're, but yeah, they just look course, ugly. Course. They're tiny. Yeah. Every now and then you get a big nasty one. Um, but most of the time, any, any screw ups are minor nicks and they're just mostly cosmetic. Yeah. You, you know, no, totally. And if somebody has more than one, sometimes we say, Hey, why don't we, you know, get your rifle in here and we'll run a check threadings. Yeah, yeah. Check threadings sure, and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, make sure the shoulder's straight and that there's no problems. Because, you know, we when I first started, we didn't thread barrels. And then, you know, we had so many baffle strikes that I said, you know what, we should probably bring barrel threading in-house. So if someone wants a barrel threaded that we know is done right, so we went out and bought a CNC lathe. And it just, it really helped because a lot of the initial uh I, I would call them like warranty claims were probably more of the barrel issue. But once we were able to fix that, then it, then it just pretty much went away. You just rarely see a, you know, a warranty claim. Absolutely. Here's a question that's come up and, and it's interesting because I come out of the five, eight, 24, everything's five, eight, yeah. 24, you know, oh, here, yeah. there, 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 everywhere. Yeah. And now you're seeing where people want to go the three quarter yeah. because of that tension on the exit of your barrel. So here's the here's a situation for everybody listening in the podcast. You you go it could be a good gunsmith doesn't I'm not pointing there's no like finger pointing issue but I'm going to get a suppressor my barrel's not threaded I thread my barrel. If you take like a cleaning rod or some kind of rod you can feel that sort of resistance in your barrel. After threading a 5.8 thread or smaller in some cases, the, the 9.16, the half inches, and people will say there's like a tension where it shrinks the exit hole of your barrel because you're messing with that material on the end. And now there's a kind of a, a, a not a certain, but a, um, uh, a thinking that I need three quarter to stay away from the hole and not deform my exit hole of my barrel. Do you guys have any opinion on five eighths versus three quarter? As far yeah, as question. that's a good question. I have to ask my gunsmith. I know we typically have to recrown it because when you're threading a barrel, you're putting uh, like a live center in the middle of that barrel to spin it. Mm -hmm. So the, the concern is that you're probably altering the, you know, the center of the barrel there. So we always recrown it and make sure that it's, it's, it's good and nice. There. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there was, people are saying three quarter, because the question becomes shoulder versus thread, you know. No, is I agree. 
I've always felt like shoulders better because that's when I saw yeah. baffle strikes and the shoulders weren't right. The problem, you know, so years ago I would see like a lead iron, a lead iron their standard 338 was a 3 and then eventually they switched over to 5.8 by 24. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a good question on shoulder. The hard part is there's a lot of barrels out there that don't have enough diameter for you to put a 3 force on there. Now, bigger stuff you could. Like yeah, yeah, for sure. Barrel, but some of the stuff you couldn't. I... You know, of course, that's outside of my area of expertise, but I would I would say that um, typically I always like to keep things standard because it seems like if you don't keep it standard, things start getting messed up. People don't bring yes. the right adapters and they don't have what they need or they buy the can the wrong way and wish they had it a different way. Or then you got adapters and d- adapters sometimes feel like duct tape to me. You don't want to add. You no, know, and I've, I've run the adapter route with uh, years ago with a jet suppressor. I had an adapter for my TRG, the m18 threads versus you know five eights so your metric versus imperial and they had an adapter so it was basically put on your metric adapter then you could five eights and put onto it and you were good to go it worked it's a terrible idea but it worked you know so you don't want to do the adapters yeah, no, I, you know, I'm still probably more by the favorite five eights by 24 and just make sure you're getting a professional with like a CNC laid doing the barrel threading. Cause sometimes even breaks, I see the threads don't go back far enough and you almost have to come in and make the threads a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. you got some more, you know, just so it's got a better, uh, you know, grip, if you will, around the silencer to the actual threads. Cause if it's too short, right. don't worry about it. You know, if it's a little tiny pencil barrel or something and there's only like less than a half an inch of threads on there, it just doesn't feel like enough to hold well, it. Well, and that's it. Like TAC Ops, you talk with Mike Resignal, and he's a shoulder guy. So he does a 916 so he gets right. more shoulder. You know what I mean? So yeah. there's all these questions yeah. that people come up and it's an interesting sort of dynamic that where it goes because – I saw that three quarter coming around and people were talking now, mostly PRS type guys and they're running really heavy barrels. So for them, maybe when they're doing their straight tapers, their one, two fives and stuff, it's, it's fine. But for me, I'm a five eights guy that it generally works everywhere. Yeah, me too. And like, like I said, I like to keep it standard because 916s is what Christensen Arms used to use. And people would always call us to complain because they had to get an adapter. Right. You couldn't rethread the barrel because it had the, you know, the, uh, carbon fiber. So yeah, I, I, I like staying standard. And if it's, it's, if it's a decent sized barrel, five eights by 24, you should have enough to shoulder there anyway. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. No, it's, it, it's really good to, you know, even just looking at the mechanics of it, where else? Cause now I want to just kind of go one more little direction in new technology yeah. that you guys will see. What are you seeing in the 3d printed materials for suppressors? Yeah, good question. So we're launching one next week, believe it or not. Um, you know, we were, Silencer Central was approached by Federal, the ammunition company. Um, and, you know, their, their business case to us is we, we're we already in the law enforcement market. We're selling to law enforcement mm-hmm. um, different different ammunition. And, you know, I, I think they probably have a substantial market share in that market because they've been around for so long. And they're sort of, as, as it looks like, you know, Vista Outdoors is splitting off where some of those other brands mm-hmm. used to be a part so they, I guess they were like, hey, how can we put more in our bag to sell? We see a big opportunity on silencers. So over the last two years, we've created a silencer for them for the law enforcement market that is 3D printed. Okay. And, um, you know, I, you know, obviously that was new for us. That was the first time we went down that route, but it's worked out really well. And I think that there, there's different things they look at because traditionally our, our typical customer was more worried about, you know, sound suppression, lightweight, whereas the law enforcement was looking more at how do we keep from getting the gas blowback and then into them quiet means hearing safe. Right. So 
is a little bit different parameters. So, you know, we, we've had really good luck, to be honest with you, in creating a 3D silencer. It's, it's tested really well. It works well on the blowback. It works well on the mitigation of the flash. Um, you know, we've made it in the first round we made for the law enforcement's 100% Ankenel, which um, okay. it's a small enough can and it's not adding that much weight. And it'll yeah, hold, it's super know. strong. And, and, and that's oh, what yeah. our old blast chambers were all Ankenel. And so, yeah, that you could print totally. it is great. Yeah, and then we ended up making, um, you know, we're going to launch one too that's 100% titanium. We see that maybe in the consumer market, maybe the lighter use in law mm-hmm. enforcement, like a non-training gun or something like that. So I I was a little, you know, everyone wanted to jump on it because the new I was going to say, you see it as a viable technology right now. Yeah. You see it working yeah. and you don't have totally. any downside. And I mean, the only question that comes to me from people when they're like, hey, this 3D printing on the suppressor side now, we 3D printing yeah. works great. Is th- that concussion over time? Is it staying? Yeah. You know, because we don't have. I mean, I'm sure you guys are sitting there and having something pound a ten thousand rounds into a can to see oh, yeah. where yeah, it yeah, fails. Yeah. But you, I oh, haven't yeah. seen, or maybe I'm not looking in the right place. Those kind of studies or anybody putting that out that yeah. I 3D no, printed point. this and I nailed ten thousand rounds through it yeah. and not no. a crack to be seen. Good point. Yeah. We haven't seen any cracks. We've run as many as 30,000 rounds. We have a good relationship with Leopold as well. And they're required by some of the government agencies to run tests with both suppressor and scope. So it's worked out well where we could sort of, you know, partner with them, if you will, and sort of split the cost on those 30,000 round tests. I mean, you do see some baffle erosion a little bit, you know, even on an Ankenel a little bit. Right. And I've seen baffles sort of chunk in the inside. It doesn't look as pretty anymore. It's sort of like the carbon fiber hardens it and a piece falls off. Yeah. And we don't, we haven't seen any like, you know, degradation in the ability to suppress. And we kind of feel like, you know, 30,000 rounds is probably on yeah. the extreme, but it gives us some confidence on a testing side. You know, federal is federal was very firm with us. It's gotta be the best and we're not going to sell it. And they've run it through the, you know, the different types of tests they do for law enforcement, military. And, you know, so far we've been pleased. So I do think, I think the key to working with 3d though, is the manufacturers has to find someone that's an expert, because if you find everyone will tell you they're an expert on 3d printing, but the question is how many silencers have you made in a year because right. that's well that's who i want to work with the well guy. in metal too found. 3d printing yeah. in the metals i think is different than the guys who do 3d printing in the plastics totally yeah because it was difficult to get someone that would do all titanium and canal wasn't as hard as hard but you know and, the, and if you can find a manufacturer that has a lot of experience in making suppressors in 3d they can give you guidance too like don't try this this will work better so it's helpful to have that experience from someone that's made a lot of them um but no, I, I do think it's viable. We do like it. I do think it's going to go well. I think there's been a lot of interest on it. Um, so I think it'll continue to move forward, honestly. Cool, cool. So other than like that 3D printing, where's your futures going? Like what do you see in the industry um, that, you know, 20, like say, what's a 2025 strategy looking like? Or what what's kind of now starting to swirl for that 2025 you know, I just still see a natural, you know, I see a natural progression to fatter, shorter, lighter. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I know at first, when I first started making titanium silencers, everyone wanted to give us a hard time. Like it can't handle it. And I'm like, well, a lot of my guys are shooting, you know, maybe three deers a year. They're, they're, they're not shooting 40,000 rounds. These things. Yeah. Who was the Brevis guy? Who made the Brevis? Remember the short, uh, fat, little tuna yeah. can looking one? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and no, totally. I, I just, you know, because I, when I go to shows and I hand somebody a silencer and they're all titanium, they're like, oh my God, mine at home are like bricks. Like, how do I get started on right. this? I mean, 
So there's the customer demand there for it. And, and going from like the standard inch and a half to 1.6 or even 1.65, it doesn't like, unless you looked at them, you know, head to head, you wouldn't really know one's that much fatter and then you can make it shorter because you're still getting the volume in there. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, you know, cause you saw the evolution. Of well, you, you got, take a five inch and you make it two inch round. Yeah. And, and yeah. now you have a shorter can to move around with your volume's still there. Oh. Yep, and, that's totally there. And the nickname for our new law enforcement can is two by four. So it's basically four inches long and two inch diameter. There you so go. That's what, the, that's what law enforcement wanted. They want to be able to clear rooms and not have to worry about too much length on the end. They also did not like having to take a standard 16 and a half inch AR and then turn it into an NFA item and take it to 10 and a half. Right. And have to register an SBR. So if they could take something like a 16 and a half, that's already their standard issue, not convert it to an NFA item and shoot, you know, a four inch can on there. They're like, this is great. We love this. No, that's a, that's a great way of looking at it. And, and, you know, even like when I, Abel's doing the same thing with their biscuit, it's a short fatty. And then their, their theorem is pretty standard. But that able biscuit, it changes that recoil pulse too and speeds it up being shorter and fatter like that. So part of the, the PRS, the competition world, is the recoil pulse on a 7, 9-inch suppressor slow. It's going to yeah. push you back slow and it's going to come back into position slow. Well, yeah. when you shorten that can up to that 5, 4, right in there, you make it fatter, it's a quicker recovery. Yeah, and absolutely. now it's going to snap back like a brake would. I mean, the brake yep. doesn't move. The brake is dead rock solid. I mean, they got a six millimeter with a four port brake on a 22 pound gun. It's not going to move. But right. if you take it and put those suppressors on there, well, now your, your, your movement isn't long. Right. And to me, I think that's where the benefit comes into these shorter, fatter cans that people are exploring. And it does go back to that Brevis design from that. Uh, I can't think of his name, but he goes back 10 years ago. He was playing right. that. Right. Yeah. No, it's interesting. Yeah. It's, I just see everybody wants less weight on the other barrel. Mm -hmm. and they, you know, they want it lighter. That's just well, a lot like of carbon good. fiber barrels, yep. you know, a lot totally. of that in the hunting world. Why not put a five inch can on there with a carbon totally. fiber barrel that 100%. is now you can wear something comfortable in your ears and you're not yep. muffed. Totally. hundred percent. No, I totally agree. Yeah. No, it, there's, there's a lot. I think that's a, that's, an element because we think suppressor and everybody yeah. thinks that seven to nine inch, that one and a half inch diameter and yeah. whether or not somebody wants to thread a break on the front or not, or some variant of a, of a, but you know, even like with handguns, you can do that little two inch or guy, you can go to a four inch, you can go to six. Yeah. And I think doing that with rifle has merit in yeah modularity is going to be the key because why buy a, a, a eight inch suppressor unless maybe I can turn it into a four. Yeah, true. Agreed. You know, that would be cool. It's like, okay, I got an eight inch suppressor that I bought, but I can unscrew this, put on a different cap change. The, and now I got a four inch can and maybe yep. it breaks the front, you know, put a break on the front. I yeah. think there's a lot of modularity, but the customer has to be okay with it. True. Moving parts, nah, we don't like a lot of moving parts, but I think just a straight tube thread hasn't proven to be a big issue. Yeah, agreed. Totally. You know, it, there, there's, there's some neat stuff that we can do.
totally when it when it comes to the, the these but yeah all right brandon what else you got give me give me something give me a parting shot from yeah i'll tell you something interesting we're doing so um that 200 tax stamp goes 100 percent to the u.s treasury and just sits there in the national national slush fund so what we did is we got our lobbyists together and we said hey how can we take that 200 and benefit us so what we did is we created a bill that has been you know sponsored and it's before congress and i think any day it's going to go before the senate and what it does is it reallocates 85 percent of that 200 tax stamp and it puts it back into gun ranges sort of like the Pittman robertson it goes yeah, to gun right. ranges, it goes for guns also goes to conservation mm-hmm. and then, it's kind of like then, the hunting license model Yes. And then 15% of it goes to the ATF and helps them staff up the people they need to execute in 90 days. But what's cool is it mandates that the ATF has 90 days to approve a silencer. And if they don't approve it in 90 days, it's automatically approved. Nice. Nice. Well, that's in, you know what? That's using the money nicely. That's putting politics back in our corner. Totally. Yeah. And it seems like you know, anytime you mentioned conservation, you got bipartisan support. So yes. there's a lot of conservation groups that are for it. You know, we already know Pittman Roberts is mostly funded by the shooters. It's mostly firearms and ammunition. So why should we not get a better benefit towards ranges and, you know, hunter say or, you know, firearm safety and training. Um, and then, you know, some people are a little negative on giving the money to the ATF, but we kind of felt like, well, if you give it to them and then they still can't hit 90 days, then it's guaranteed it's 90 days or it's automatically approved. Right. Right. Yeah, there's yeah. got to be a carrot. You got to compromise yeah. and you got to be a carrot. Yeah. We, the, the, the agency does us no favors, but that's what we have. Right. We have to work within that system. Totally. So, I mean, we're excited about it just because it looks like a get get bipartisan uh, participation and interest in it. I mean, we like the idea of taking that money, that $200 tax stamp, so it actually benefits our customers and mm-hmm. future customers. Um, and then also, I mean, it's sort of a side strategy, but the thought is a lot of this money goes to the states and then the state matches those federal funds. So our theory is maybe a Washington state or Oregon would be less likely to make silencers illegal if they're getting, you know, say 10 or 15, $20 million a year for right. this, this revenue, these tax stamps. So it's kind of a double strategy there. If let's increase turnaround time. Let's guarantee them the 90 days. Let's put the money into firearms. Let's put the money into training. And then let's also hope that it preserves suppressors where the, some of these states don't go woke and try to, you know, outlaw them when they're mm-hmm. not a public safety issue. Yeah. So you your political so, advocacy is huge. You you guys are yeah. stepping up and, and you're knee deep in the politics of this, trying to make it better for the end user, which is another reason to support you guys. Because that's no, not cheap. That's it. lawyers, man. Oh, yeah. No, no, you're right. <laughs> Two lobbyists and they're both lawyers. Yeah, it's expensive. But no, it's fun. I mean, I feel like we're making a difference. I feel like the more people that buy suppressors, they're voters, they're educating their legislators. So I, I think there's a groundswell. It's going to eventually get better. Absolutely. I mean, that's 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 part of it is is you're not just in there taking you're giving back and you're trying to make this system better because it's a system that's been, you know, uh, disrupted over the years and bastardized. And, you know, so you're, you're trying to bring it back to original intent, I guess, is a way of putting it to where, you know, yeah. get, get it out of the, you know, 1930s gangster mode and put it yeah. into modern modern world. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and that's, you know, just to kind of put a point on it for those listening, it's that European model. Suppressors are civilized. Yeah. We want you to shoot suppress to not bother anybody else. And, and a lot of their clubs across Europe advocate they have to have a, a moderator, you know, yeah. for them. Um, they if it does, and, and that's funny, too, how we have that silencer connotation going back to the gangsters and in organized crime 
but they went the moderator route and nobody talks about it. It's right. never mentioned because they just yeah, moderate totally. it. Yeah, no, totally. You know, oh, and, and yeah. I've, it's funny because I've been in the airport and they've opened up my gun case and this is going back even like right around 9-11 and, and, you know, the TSA when they first were formed opens up my gun case and they look at each other and they start keystone copying, bobbing back and forth. It's like, you know, they bump into each other like the keystone cops trying to get through a doorway and, 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 and you hear him, that's a silencer. Why does he have that? You know, and yeah. it's like, well, because yeah. I can. And then they get yeah. mad. You know, and, 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 and it's like uh, for me when I travel, not so much anymore, but back when I was traveling like that, I would wrap the suppressor in the paperwork. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, just yeah. Xerox it. I just wrap it, throw it in the case. Now I have just a bunch of papers behind the foam. There's probably yeah. a stack of them. But anyway, I would wrap it. And so it was with. The paperwork was with the can and, yeah. and still they were like, they, they go, Oh, we, we, we want to take a copy of this. No, you're not getting a copy of my tax stamp. No, no. you're not doing that. <laughs> and, and at one time I actually had to have them get a cop, but it was the only time it was like, yeah. go, go get a police officer. Cause you don't, and this was when TSA was new because oh, yeah. you don't know what you're doing. And, and, totally. and now those don't happen anymore. They don't even pay attention Half of them don't even see it. Yeah. You, no, absolutely. You know, so there, there's all kinds of craziness with them. But I'm a big fan. I love the suppressors. I think you guys at Silencer Central are doing a fantastic job. The advocacy, yeah. the you know, just working within the system, the banished suppressors you see out there just work. And, and it's just a great time, man. Well, hey, it's an honor for me to be here. Like I said, I've been a fan of yours and read through your forums for so many years, so to actually get a chance to talk to you has been pretty exciting for me. Oh, no, this is great. Great flow, great conversation. Totally enjoyed it. Let me, um, yeah. I'm going to get this and get us out of here and, and get your weekend started. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we'll go. Let me, let me stop this one recording. I'm going to do the exit music, and then we'll be out. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper podcast. Be sure to check out Silencer Central. Appreciate Brandon coming on. This was a really good conversation. Suppressors are legal. Suppressors are civilized. Put a suppressor on your rifle or handgun. You won't regret it. Trust me. You will not regret it. All righty, guys. We are out of here. Cheers. <laughs>